Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat. We have an interesting show for you guys today because not very much Penguins news happens in August. So we have to dig to the bottom of the barrel. We have to get creative on what we want to talk about for the next 45 minutes. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to go back to the 90s because who doesn't love the 90s era of the Pittsburgh Penguins? And what we're going to do is a snake draft to see who can draft the best starting lineup with all 90s players, but with the caveat that we're taking out Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager. So that's coming up later in the show, but where we want to start is with the small bit of Penguins news that we have gotten over the past week. David Morehouse, the former Penguins president and CEO, has joined the Pittsburgh Steelers as senior advisor to President Art Rooney. Horwat, you had the story for InsideThePenguins.com. What can you tell us about this, and what are your thoughts on it? I think it's very interesting that his new job, A, didn't take long to find, or B, uh, didn't he didn't have to go far, just a quick hop across the river. Mm-hmm. He could uh, take the tea. Uh, yeah, he could. I was trying to think if that's what was shut down right now, but no, it is not. Uh, just, you know, sorry. I was going to call it the Port Authority. It is The art is formerly known as the Port Authority. Pittsburgh Regional Transit now. Um, oh. Yeah, you can take your Pittsburgh Regional Transit tee across the under the river and uh, show up in Heinz Field for his new job. Mm-hmm. Nothing much new though. It's assistant or it's what vice president, assistant to the vice president, assistant to the regional manager. Yes, and also I don't even think it's a vice president. Senior advisor to the president, who he's working with Art Rooney, the mm-hmm. second. We had to talk about the lineage here because I know there's Art, Art the second, Dan, and Dan and, and Art Junior. So there's like. Four Roonies. There's a lot yeah. of Roonies. Yeah. And Pittsburgh. That being said, though, uh, yeah, he's gonna work first work with Mario and now work with Art Rooney the second, then the Rooney family. He's excited about it. Um, not exactly sure what it entails in the job, but it will be focusing on community and league related initiatives. Mm-hmm. I think just a lot of the same of what he was doing with the Penguins, mm-hmm. uh, but now in the Steelers capacity, um, and. Honestly, at first I was a little surprised because it's always interesting hearing a name like that jump from one team to another, really. But also, I figured he was retired and done with. I really did. I mean, to be fair, if you're a senior advisor in a position like that, you're not doing too much. Like, you don't hold a position that is day-to-day, and neither does the president, Art Rooney II. If you're senior advisor, basically what David Morehouse is now is basically a, a talking head that comes in for a meeting a couple days a week, maybe, but mostly just to be golfing buddies with Art Rooney because that's what these guys were beforehand. They've been friends for a long time, obviously, with Morehouse having plenty of years of experience with the Pittsburgh Penguins, and also Morehouse knowing the market because with the Pittsburgh Penguins, he led community initiatives. He knew how to be part of the community, and he's a Pittsburgh guy. So basically just saying, hey, here's a position. You come in when we need you to, and just to give your advice, to give your opinion, and that's all that basically David Morehouse is going to be doing for the Steelers. But, I mean, good for him. He found another paycheck uh, quickly after getting paid for a long time with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Not that I think the uh, Morehouses are struggling for cash, but nonetheless, nice to see him continuing on in the city of Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, he's, he's had a long history of doing things, and uh, this should work out for him nicely. At the age of 62, he's adding another great sports institution under his belt, so, you know, good on him. Speaking of sports institutions, and before we get into the 90s snake draft, which I'm very excited for, Horwat, I know when I texted you about it, I said, all right, well, I'm, I'm competitive, so I'm going to obviously post this out on social media at Iceberg Podcast on Twitter, at Tip of the Iceberg Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, and we'll see which one of us is able to draft the better team. Usually, I feel like you get the better of me when it comes to fan reaction of our drafts and stuff like that. The one that comes to mind is the All-American Penguins draft that we did a couple years ago for the 4th of July. But like I said, when it comes to institutions, I wanted to ask you before we got into it. Game day traditions. Because I was listening to a couple different things, then they were talking about, oh, do you like the wave? Do you like this? Do you like that? So Horwat, what are some of your favorite game day traditions for Pittsburgh Penguins games? Uh, everyone always tweeting about Sidney Crosby's traditions. I think that's always a good one. Every time you... Uh go to a game everyone's always focused on him during warm-ups other mm -hmm. other traditions see i don't think of any because i don't follow in that many mm -hmm. um unless it's like me particularly playing i don't get super into that sort of thing so oh uh, not a pass room but like i said it's always everyone following crosby around it's everyone always noticing that malkin goes out last and then does that pass to stewart Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, he's the last one off the ice, waits for... He doesn't wait for other people, though. He, he's just last off the ice for his team. Mm -hmm. uh, I know some... Panarin, I forget who else. Some people get real iffy about it. Marshawn. Marsh, that's kind of annoying, I'm not going to lie. It's not cute anymore. Like Every time that happens, every time there's like the rock, paper, scissors, the NHL blows up about him. Like, it's great. I don't care, because guess what? They're both about to have not great games <laughs> like imagine if the nhl actually let their players have personalities if that if that's exciting to their their admins imagine if yeah. they let their players have personalities or honestly just if their players had personalities they just go through so much media training at this point yeah exactly but uh what are some thoughts that you have because i'll try and come up with something i mean personally the one big one that came comes to mind for me is going to pizza milano's across fifth avenue and going down there before the game usually Obviously getting a pizza there, getting a couple beers, and then you can walk right over into that lower gate of PPG Paints Arena. But I, I think of that not only because when we go to games, I like to go to Milano's beforehand, probably one of the, my favorite pizzas in the city. But I also like to go during the big screen. I mean, I haven't been to a big screen in, in, in four or five years. But what I usually like to do is at the 10-minute mark of the first period, when it's the playoffs and you're sitting out at the big screen, you order the pizza for pickup. And that way it's usually done as soon as the first period ends. You walk right up, get your pizza, and you're back by puck drop of the second period. So that's one of my favorite traditions surrounding the Pittsburgh Penguins. I just, I really like involving Pizza Milano's in my Penguins game day when I'm there. Clearly. The, yeah, I, I usually don't have a pregame meal either. It's, uh, if the closest thing I can think of is a long time ago, me and my uh, stepmom would always go to Cafe on 5th. Mm. that's about it and that's a, that's a great place actually me and my boss were just talking about it yesterday ironically mm -hmm. um that's always a solid place to go to uh that's really it other than maybe parking on point parks campus and walking yeah always <laughs> not, always at the wood allies garage not even there in the actually in that little lot that is open that you and, don't pay for yeah exactly mm. i Thief. genuinely cannot think of anything else i mean because I'm so very, like, I go too often to, like, set a 
tradition. Well, uh, you it's, would think that that's where it ends up happening when you go that often that you, hey, you have the things that you do. I mean, parking is a perfect example. Everybody usually parks in the same place that they did the last time they went to the game. If you see, then again, like I, I don't, that's not always true because for a long time we would use my stepmom's parking pass. Mm -hmm. and then she lost it, not lost it, we got rid of it during the pandemic, so we didn't use that lot anymore. There is the Wood Allies Garage because it's $6 if I'm feeling like paying for six bucks. And then there's the, the free lot if I want to wait an extra couple minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so, really, I'd say those are the biggest ones. I just don't have any because, um, I don't know, I'm usually too busy during the day <laughs> to set up a daily regiment. You're always busy, man. Oh, always busy. I'm leaving the second we're done here to do something. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I also, fair warning, haven't had my coffee yet, so if I'm all over the place, you know why. Hey, that gives me an edge for the draft. That's all I care about. Yeah, you're damn right it does. <laughs> but the uh, the other one that I have really, the, the big one that I pay attention to, I'm not always in a rush to get out of the arena because it takes forever and you're just standing in one place for such a long time. I usually wait for the Ferris Bueller Still Here video to play on the Jumbotron to even vacate my seats. Damn, I have never seen that one. You've never seen that? So you, you get up and leave right away? Uh, it depends on, uh, depends on the mood. I can tell you I sat and that's... I can tell you the game we lost in game six, whichever that Louis Domingo was. Maybe, yeah. Game six, yeah. Yeah, I sat there for a minute. Clearly, I mean, I they don't wait that there. long. Like, usually you're still waiting, but I just usually sit, sit there, like to chill out, you know, I, I know everybody in the upper deck, that's where I usually like to sit. People in the upper deck like to get up and leave, and all of a sudden there's congestion around the escalators and the stairs and everything. I'll just sit there and, and wait. Basically, one of the last people out of the actual bowl, and then they play the Ferris Bueller. Hey, you're still here? Go home. And then I get up and I leave. No, no, I don't think I've ever seen it. Maybe I've, like, seen it in passing before. I also haven't been to a game in a couple years, so they might have stopped. I don't know why they would, but they might have stopped doing it. <laughs> Maybe I haven't seen it in passing because normally in wins, I'm a little more excited to go do other things. And then mm -hmm. during losses, I'm sitting there moping and they don't want to put it up after a loss either. Yeah, that might be it. I don't know. I, I don't remember. I just remember usually every time I'm there that, that they play that and I end up using that as my cue to vacate the area. But before we close out this segment, I, I did want to ask, what do you do afterwards? Is there anything specific that you like to do after a game? It depends on what's going on. There's okay. the Penguins play too many weekday games for me to be like, oh yeah, I That's go true. out afterwards. Or um, there's too many things, just too many factors that go into definitely that go into after game stuff because mm. uh, it depends on the day of the week, depends on the time of the game. If I'm seeing a matinee, uh, I'm usually annoyed that the sun's still out. Mm -hmm. And then, I don't know, maybe I'm going to get dinner. Yeah. Just coming, I'm usually just coming home. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I know there's some people that go to the casino. I don't. I've gone. I've been to a casino four times in my life. I've only gambled twice, and I lose every single time. Like, I have never won a, a penny. Maybe, maybe I put a, a little bit in a slot machine, and I won a little bit, but then I lost it right away. I've gone to the casino three times. First time, I hit, I hit beginner's luck, but it was with my dad's money. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. Uh, he let me keep it, though, so it's okay. <laughs> so you're a thief. Again, second time in this episode. Uh, second time, I think I won a couple of dollars somewhere. I don't remember. Third time, I didn't gamble at all, and I watched our buddy Brandon just rake in the money at uh, uh, 21. Hey. 21. 
One you have to get the twenty one in. What's it called? You mean blackjack? Blackjack. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Coffee's a hell of a thing, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I think with that we should probably transition over to the snake draft because I have you right where I want you, where you're kind of out of it a little bit. I don't know how much prep that you did for this, but I think I did too much prep for this. So, I did none, my guy. So for what we're gonna do, nineteen nineties. Pittsburgh Penguins snake draft, six rounds. We each draft a starting roster, you know, left wing, right wing, center, two defensemen, and a goalie. No Mario Lemieux, no Yaramir Yager. And how we're going to determine who gets the first pick, we're going to play a little rock, paper, scissors. You ready? Just not best two out of three, just one. All right. Are you ready? Oh, Lord. Okay. Ready? <clears throat> rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Yes, let's do this over video. Yeah, that's not working. Yeah, this is awful. So you know what? Just you take the first pick. I really don't care. <laughs> I really do not care at this point because that went horribly. So if you're watching it on Inside the Penguins on YouTube, you get to watch us botch rock, paper, scissors. All right, what are the positions we're doing? It's just the, each You know, them? a starting roster. All right, yeah. One of each two defensemen. And a goalie? And a goalie, yes. All right, cool. My first pick's Tom Barrasso just because, hey, you know what? Name another Penguins goalie from the '90s. I will. That but was my one. That was my one plan into this was get Tom Barrasso because <laughs> name. Who else is gonna beat that in the Penguins lineage in the '90s? I don't need somebody to go out there and win me the game, but I will obviously mention him later because I'm not using my first round pick on a goalie. I'm using my first round pick on Ron Francis, one of the best forwards in NHL history, Hockey Hall of Famer, current general manager of the Seattle Kraken. The dude was electric in the 1990s. And obviously, when you talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins, strength down the middle is vastly important, always has been. And I think I'm going to start there. I'm starting with Ronnie Francis. That's okay. That's fine by me because there's always still backups somewhere. Not even backups, really. I don't know why I called him a backup. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always other names around though, and I'm just gonna go off the radar a little bit because you don't. Whoa, think whoa, about... whoa, 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 whoa! This is a snake. Oh, that's draft, right, snake sir. draft. You go ahead. You go ahead. What are you trying to steal my second round pick? Let me write down that it's a snake so I don't forget that. Hey, yeah, you trying to cheat over here? You're a thief twice early in this show. Now you're cheating. I don't, I don't know about it, Horwat. You're making me nervous. But I'm also gonna go with another hockey hall of famer for my second round pick. And you know, what's better than strength down the middle? is a scoring defenseman. So I'm going to take the Hall of Famer. I'm going Paul Coffey as my second-round pick. That's also all right. Yeah, so I got Francis and Coffey. I'm pre feeling pretty confident. Francis and Coffey, ain't nothing wrong with that. Now, I, you pick, now you have two picks. The fun thing about how stacked these uh, Penguins 90s teams were mm -hmm. is just that Francis and Coffey, cool, I can double that up with two equally good, especially at the time for one of these – uh, players, uh, Stevens and Murphy, same position, not same positions, but forward defense, you know, you, sh you shoot out a Ron Francis. Sure. I missed out on the Ron Francis, but again, I'm stopping pucks. Mm -hmm. Then there's Kevin Stevens who, I mean, come on, put up all those numbers was the freight train for Mario Lemieux to let him do his thing. And then Larry Murphy to cover just as many points, you know, if not a few more here and there, I'm trying to no Paul Coffey's numbers were ridiculous, but Larry Murphy to cover quite as many, almost as many points as Paul Coffey mm -hmm. uh, on the blue, <coughs> excuse me, on the blue line. 
Yeah, and once Paul Coffey left the Pittsburgh Penguins, it was Larry Murphy's blue line to command, especially in the scoring aspect, because I know Coffey left the Penguins in 1992. Yeah, in 1992, and then Larry Murphy for the next four or five years was the leading scorer on the Pittsburgh Penguins defense. So I don't hate that. Listen, I had both of these guys circled as well. If you didn't take, if you would have taken coffee, Murphy would have been my first defenseman. So now I have two more picks. Uh, actually, what we're going to do is I'm going to make one pick and then we're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and finish this off. But when I look at this now, I have a center, I have a defenseman, but you have who Stevens, Murphy, and Barrasso, let me tell you, Horwat, I was not expecting you to go goalie first overall. That 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 is something that purely shocked me. But I already know you can't choose another left wing, so I'm going to leave that on the board. I'm going to go to right wing because neither of us have chosen a right wing yet. And I'm between two players right now. One guy's a Hockey Hall of Famer. The other guy kind of fits the, the, the mood and the tempo that I kind of wanted. But you know what? I, I think I have to do it. I'm going to go with Mark Recchi, the wrecking ball. He has that winning pedigree. He won with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He won with the Carolina Hurricanes. He won with the Boston Bruins. He is now an assistant coach, I believe still, with the New Jersey Devils, albeit not having the greatest coaching career of all time, but he is one of the greatest players of all time. He's consistent. He knows how to put up goals. He's played with both Sidney Crosby and Mario Lemieux. So you know what? He's going to be playing with Ronnie Francis and Paul Coffey in my lineup. I'm taking Mr. Mark Recchi with my third pick. It's a great choice, too. It's one, that, it's one name that I was looking at, but I've also been kind of glancing into longevity into the 90s um, as mm-hmm. much as I can here. But, I mean, there's no going wrong with Mark Recchi. As a winner, wins everywhere he goes mm-hmm. and is able to flaunt that winning. It's yeah. really fun for him. And in this hypothetical matchup, I need him to win one more time. I don't know. Would this be best of seven? Probably, because that's how hockey things go. But nonetheless, we have half of our rosters drafted. Horwat, I think that was the biggest surprise, is you taking Tom Barrasso with the 1-1 pick. I, I did not expect a goalie to go first overall. But hey, Penguins did that back in 2003 with Marc-Andre Fleury. So why not you do it in 2022 with Tom Barrasso? So we have Barrasso, Francis, Coffey, Stevens, Murphy, and Recchi all selected. Who will we pick? In the second half, rounds four through six of our 1990s Pittsburgh Penguins snake draft. We'll be back right after a quick break to conclude this draft process. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. We're in the middle of our 1990s Pittsburgh Penguins snake draft. Of course, the big caveat, no Mario Lemieux, no Yarmir Yager, because that just changes everything, doesn't it? Of course it does. I mean, changes quite a few things. Especially, I, I know they're both two of the best players of all time, but whoever has Mario Lemieux is going to win, right? Like, like, that's how I'm taking it. Like, nothing against Yarmir Yager. He obviously has the, what, second most points in NHL history, and he's one of the greatest players in the history of the game. But I, I look at Mario Lemieux as the best player, and I would never take anybody else than him in a best of seven series if you're going best on best at their peak absolutely totally right it, there's no denying the stuff that Lemieux could do I think oh man you give a fully healthy Lemieux for that many years mm-hmm. it's questionable it's always questionable that's one of the big arguments in the sport is who really was better Lemieux or, Lemieux or Gretzky I think mm-hmm. there's an argument for both 
especially given just the health issues that Lemieux had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And here's the thing. You can be lazy and say, oh, well, the points and all the stats say Wayne Gretzky by a mile, but let's let's make it a little bit more difficult and actually look into it some, shall we? Like that, I hate when people do that. And it's like, you really are just kind of ruining your own argument by not saying anything like that. So yeah. uh, with that, I think we, went at, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now. Let's continue our 1990s snake draft with round four. I get the lead off in round four. And when I'm looking at it, I have a defense position left, a left wing, and my goalie, which you can't choose another left wing or goalie. So I'm going to go with defense because that's where the most uh, possibilities are. And I'm stuck between two two different styles of play, Horwat. Do I want a scoring Hall of Famer or do I want to bring a little bit of grit, a little bit of determination, somebody to try to keep Kevin Stevens out of my goaltender's face? Uh, and I know that sometimes is an impossible task, but you know what I'm going to do? I think there's enough offense between Francis and Recky and Paul Coffey. Paul so, Coffey of all people, yeah. So I'm going to go with a defenseman that brings a little bit of grit, that brings a little bit of character. And I could go with Olfi Samuelson because he's one of the most grit character defensemen that we've had, especially in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. But you know what? I'm going with a fan favorite. You know, I'm trying to cater to the fan vote here a little bit. I'm going to bring in Darius Kasparaitis, Horwat. I mean, not only is he a, a very talented defenseman, he's not, nobody's going to mistake him for a Hall of Famer, that's that's for sure, but he has the clutch gene, Horwat. And if we get to a Game 7 in this hypothetical series that we're playing, which of these players has a Game 7 overtime winner in the playoffs? I know it wasn't in the 90s, but in 2001, Darius Kasparaitis against the Buffalo Sabres in overtime ended it and giving the Penguins the win and helping them advance in the playoffs. So I'm going to take Darius Kasparaitis with my fourth round pick. That's just a genuinely fun pick. I can't be mad at that. Although I'm shocked you didn't go with Ulf, who is my second name for defense here, if you want to just jot that in then. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I wanted someone who can really, you're right, bring the sandpaper aspect to their game on the blue line, especially because... I mean, you picked up Paul Coffey, who is basically a forward in his own right, especially <laughs> in this sort of situation. Yeah. So you, so picking up another offensive defenseman may not have been the smartest, wisest move. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that me picking up Larry Murphy, figuring, well, we got my one scoring defenseman, bring in the sandpaper, bring in the tough-as-nails guy. Mm-hmm. Why not let it be the guy who is not allowed to enter the city of Boston, Finn <laughs> Ol Samuelson. Yeah, that's fair. So... Again, yours is a great pick. Darius Kasparaitis is also a fan pick as well. Ulfie is a fan pick as well, just from the older generation. Because, again, he's not allowed in the city of Boston. Yeah, which generation is more on social media, though? Because that's who will, in, in general, determine <laughs> who has the what? better De- roster. Depends on the social media, depends on the replies. Yeah, you, <laughs> I'd say they're both on. You might get the Facebook vote. I think I'll, I'll lean towards the Twitter vote in this one. But you have your fifth-round pick, Mr. Horwat. Yeah, and then I do still need a uh, right winger in this situation, and it's not off the board, but Joey Mullins, one of the greatest American-born mm. players. He, w- he was on my draft board. Yeah, but uh, he's still out there, and I got to take him just because, you know, underratedly good and incredible for this Penguins franchise during his two stints. Yes, two stints. Later, later half of his career, but still putting up during his first – 
what is that? Five years here. Yeah, five years. 303 points in 325 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's phenomenal stuff. Oh, just barely over point per game for a career. 1,062 games, 1,063 points. Hey. That, my friend, is consistency. Uh, yeah, one of the greatest American-born players to ever do. One of the first American-born greats, too. Uh, so I got to give uh, Joey Mullen my right my right wing here, leaving me with a center to pick, but you can finish off. You only yep. have one left? I have two picks left, and then you two close picks. out the draft. So when I look at my last two picks, clearly I don't really have to worry about who you're going to take in this situation. But I do, in fact, need somebody to play on the left side of a line with Ron Francis and Mark Recchi. And who better to do that than Pittsburgh Penguins legend, I'm bringing in, he has a statue. Luke Robitaille is my left winger. He only played in one year with the Pittsburgh Penguins. That was the 1994-95 season. But in 43 games played, or sorry, 46 games played, he put up 42 points. So almost a point a game. His best work has always been with the LA Kings. Let's not forget about that fact that he's usually had his best seasons with the Kings. Even when he went back for his second stint, it was a little bit better than he played in Pittsburgh and New York. And definitely better than he played in Detroit late in his career. What about his third stint in L.A.? Or his third stint in L.A. was was not as great. I mean, 50, 51 points in 80 games in 2003, 2004, and then 20, 24 and 65 in 05, 06 after the lockout. So, uh, listen, I think that with the right team, which he's going to be with the right team here, he's going to be able to thrive in a Pittsburgh Penguins uniform. I mean, he was almost a point a game in the 90s. So I think with guys like... Ron Francis in a best of seven with a guy like Mark Recchi in a best of seven and also playing with Paul Coffey constantly. I think that's going to be great for Robitaille. So he's my left winger. That's a great choice. Robitaille may have played one season, but he got shafted a little bit because he played the shortened season here. That's true. So people really forget that he played here because it was the shortened 94-95, right? That one? Yes. Season that uh, was also, he was also overshadowed by Yager that whole year who crushed it. Well, it's, it's, that's why Yager's not involved in this. It's not hard to be overshadowed by a guy like Yarmir Yager, especially in the 90s when he was winning scoring titles and MVPs left and right. So that closes out all of my forwards. That closes out all my skaters. But, you know, I do still need a goaltender, which is how you started this entire thing off. Let me pull up his numbers here just so I can reference them. Uh, speaking of hockey reference. But my goaltender is going to be Kenny Reggett. And I know he's not Tom Barrasso. I do. But you know what? Kenny Reggett's not an awful goaltender. A, he is a career 885, which is not pretty. In the 90s. <laughs> but you know what you need? And you need the guy to win four games for you. And playing behind a team like this, I have confidence that Ken Reggett will be able to do just enough to get me the victory. I, I know you very much emphasized goaltending in your decision to take Tom Barrasso first overall. But my last pick to close out my team is going to be Kenny Reggett. I like it. I mean, you, I mean, I didn't really have really an had, option. But. Yeah. Do you, I mean, like I was, like I said, why I picked Barrasso was name another Penguins goalie. Mm-hmm. That was, that's always the first one that comes to mind. But then after that, who really is it? You I mean, know, are you really going to pick yeah. two? Was Patrick Laleem in the nineties? I think he was. That'd be an interesting choice. Maybe, yeah. But it's just, there's a lot of air of uncertainty here. Wendell Young, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's always been Tom Barrasso. K- 
Ken Raggett. Um, so it's a great choice. Uh, you can't go wrong with it. It's, it is pretty much just the Tristan Jari, Casey DeSmith situation where it's the yeah. clear starter and the clear backup. And listen, you know what we said? If Casey DeSmith played that whole series against the Rangers, would the Penguins have won? Probably. Probably. Yeah, there it is. Tom, uh, Patrick Leem in 1996-97 if you wanted him for those couples. I think he was here for two seasons or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and he wasn't terrible. Hmm. I mean, 9-13 in his rookie season, playing with Ken Reggett and Tom Barassa, who was thoroughly injured that year. That's the other thing about Tom Barassa through the 90s, though, is you got to find the right Tom Barassa. Yeah, you got to find 1991. Well, not, not early playoffs 1991, late playoffs 1991, and then 92 and 93. Yep. All right, and to close it off, uh, I gotta pick someone. I'm gonna pick someone fun because I, you clearly have me beaten center. Clearly, Ron Francis. It's mm-hmm. the centers through the '90s go Lemieux, Francis, and then ooh, who really? Mm-hmm. It's a bunch of inconsistency. It's a bunch of yeah, Trottier is there, but if you really look at his stats here, he didn't play here no. those entire seasons. He, he he finished his career in Pittsburgh. He's a New York yeah. Islander. Great. He's a Pittsburgh Penguins champion. That's what he is. Yeah, I mean, I, just because of the pedigree i did think about it but i decided to go with just a very very fun choice i went martin straka marty straka all right for two stints in the 90s with the penguins shockingly actually because he was he played what was it 42 games during their president's trophy winning season he played 42 games only put up 16 points but you know what he was there in 92 93 he knows what it takes to win Mm. He was there the following year for the full 84 games, putting up 64 points. Absolutely respectable before getting traded midseason the next year. But then coming back in 97-98 and then finishing off into the 2000s. I mean, he played here pretty much up until the lockout. Uh, But in 560 career games in Pittsburgh, 442 points. You know what? That's very respectable, especially for – let's. Just be blunt here, some very bad Penguins teams through the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about here, but two separate stints in the 90s. Part of a very, very good winning team in 92-93. Obviously, won the President's Trophy. And then, uh, I mean, 97-98 was a pretty decent year for the Penguins, 98-99. They closed out pretty decent, I'd say. Just mm-hmm. not the best. But Straka was a big part of it. Yeah, I thought you were going to go with a guy like Peter Nedved, to be completely honest. I know I had Nedved on my draft board as well, so I was I was thinking that that's the, the direction you're going. But Straka, I mean, Straka's in line with what I expect from you, though, to be completely honest. Like, you're always somebody that likes to bring up Straka when talking about the 90s. Yeah, yeah. so I'm not surprised at all. But uh, I do I do have to say, I think I have you beat in the center position. But Straka can hold his own, that's for sure. If you need some numbers here, in 98-99, to close out the 90s, Yarmir Yager led the team in scoring with 127 points. Martin Straka finished second with 83. Hey. That's in 80 in 80 games? That's over a point per game. Yeah, and that's starting to get towards the dead puck era. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If not, like, the very beginning, beginning of, of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 127 points for Yager that year is disgusting. So that concludes the snake draft, and we will put up our rosters online. I want you to go over, if you have a minute, vote who has the better team, whose team would win in a best-of-seven series, Team Horwat or Team Berlansky. We can call it, you know, Team Early 90s versus Team RoboPen. Maybe maybe do something like that. Uh, but here are the final rosters. Horwat, your team is 
Tom Barrasso in net, Kevin Stevens, Larry Murphy, Ulf Samuelson, Joey Mullen, and Martin Straka. That is Team Horwat. And we'll, we'll save the team names for a little later. We got to actually figure that out. Should have thought about that before, but oh well. Uh, my team is Ronnie Francis, Paul Coffey, Mark Recchi, Darius Kasparitis, Luke Robitaille, and Ken Reggett. Not going to lie, I'm feeling pretty confident going into this one. I'd say they're actually fairly even. They, because, again, you got me in center, but I definitely got you in net. Yes. The defense could be pretty even, really. It, it could be. Yeah, I, I might. I, I think you obviously have somebody that's a little bit more rough and tumble than Ulfie Samuelson, but I think Darius Kasparitis' underlying numbers say that he's going to be a pretty good offensive threat with Paul Coffey. Yeah, he's good. Even though there weren't under, not underlying numbers back then. I think toward the very end of his career, there may have been a small peak of it. Maybe. But uh, no, nonetheless, I think it's going to be a pretty even competition. We'll have to see who the listeners and who the followers think has the better team. We'll report back on Monday on that episode of Tip of the Iceberg podcast. But you know, it is a Thursday episode. It is almost two years to the day that we started this segment idea. So let's finish this episode as we always finish off our Thursday episodes with shout-outs and call-outs. Horwat, who are you shouting out this week? Uh, this one should be an easy one. We have to shout-out the life and legacy of Vince Scully, who passed away at the age of 94, the ripe old age of 94, the other yesterday. Um, man, if you, could, if you didn't go through all of Wednesday just listening to Vince Scully talk, what did you do with your day? Yeah. Uh, the man was the voice in literally every sport. I mean, uh, baseball obviously did some football for a little bit. He did. He announced Porsche, not announced, but he introduced the Stadium Series game at Dodger Stadium, uh, which I have not found. Not that many people talked about it, but he did a little hockey voiceover, and then he did golf. Did anyone else see that? Those golf clips. Those were incredible. <laughs> the man stuck in what was literally a crater. With the ladder, like you, if you need a ladder to get in your bunker, just throw it out. Take the strokes penalties and throw it out. Uh, but listening to Vince Scully try and announce this man, try and get out of the bunker was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no Vince. Vince Scully could do no wrong. He, there was just so many clips going around yesterday of him remaining calm under a pressure, under b just hysteria on the baseball field because Dodgers weren't the greatest for a minute. Yeah. And he had to talk his way through all of it. And he did so phenomenally. Mm-hmm. The one that I saw that I really enjoyed and watched probably three or four times is whenever he was talking about Johnny Gomes and the, the attack of the bear on Johnny Gomes when he was a child. And still, I mean, he did his, he was such a professional. He was doing that. And then he'd pop in with, and the two O pitch is a ball three O and just the, the way that he was able to just carry you throughout games. And I know, we were not fortunate enough to have him call games for the Pittsburgh Pirates growing up, so it took a little bit longer for us to realize, you know, Vin Scully, watch some of his his games and stuff like that. But if you did watch Wednesday, they were all over the place, and he is one of the most iconic voices in sports history. And if you're making a Mount Rushmore of announcers for sports, he's probably the first name that comes up. If not, he's clearly on that list. And he might be on the Mount Rushmore of TV announcers, period, and voices, period, in, in U.S. history. So uh, I really, you know, saw that, and I was, I was surprised. I was taken aback. But uh, obviously, rest in peace to one of the legends of 
announcing of, of speaking, basically, and specifically of, of course, announcing baseball, um, Vince Kelly. Yeah, if you mention Mountain Rushmore sort of announcing, he's definitely the baseball category for sure. Clearly. I think you could, eas- I think you could easily make a big four of announcers. You, it would probably just go like Vince Scully, what, uh, Jim Nance? I mean, Jim Nance, he covers two sports. Um, I just couldn't think of anyone else. Yeah. Basketball's whoever whoever's doing it now, I would say. And then, um, yeah. Who does the bang thing? Who does what? The bang? Uh, the, Kenny the Albert? Three. Is it Kenny Albert? No. I don't know who it is. Anyway, and then hockey goes up to what? Doc? Yeah, I would say hockey's yeah. probably probably Doc Emmerich. There you go. We've made the Mount Rushmore. What's your shout out uh, i'm gonna continue in the baseball train my shout out is post trade deadline buckos baseball they are 2-0 since the trade deadline a 5-3 win on tuesday night against the milwaukee brewers o'neill cruz with a masterful effortless three-run home run to tie the game up at 3-3 then of course on wednesday yoshi sutsugo gets dfa'd tusapita marcano gets recalled Eat. he goes out last night Three for three, RBI, scores a run, first career triple, has a game. And then the Pittsburgh Pirates, guess what? They beat the Milwaukee Brewers again. Eight to seven walk-off victory with Brian Reynolds hitting a walk-off winner in the bottom of the ninth inning. Another home run, by the way, from O'Neill Cruz with an absolute laser beam, 430 feet out into the river. The young guys are getting extended looks. That's why everybody loves post-trade deadline Pittsburgh Pirates baseball. And it is here. It is the fun time of the summer if you're a Pirates fan because you get to see the young guys get extended looks, get extended opportunities. And when I look at that lineup now, I just ask myself, why hasn't it looked like this all season? Clearly, it's more exciting. Jack Sawinski's not even up yet. I guarantee you he's going to finish the season with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I really have enjoyed watching the games the past two days, more so than most of the rest of the season and it's always great when you're beating up on the milwaukee brewers which doesn't happen very often if you're the pittsburgh pirates yeah you're right it definitely doesn't mm-hmm. um this team is very interesting because not only are they uh, they're undefeated in, this, in the month of august yeah two and oh but <laughs> hey you know, take what we can because we're coming off of a seven game losing streak yeah oh man it's it's hard to it's hard to understand this team because it really obviously is more than just wanting to win. You want your teams to win, mm-hmm. but then you sometimes you feel bad about winning because you're the Pirates and you're trying to do certain things, uh-huh. right? Like you're trying to be bad enough to get that one last draft pick, but then you remember it's baseball and they're not going to be here for another five years. Yeah. No, I don't feel bad about winning if, if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates. I mean, it, you look at the, the system that they have, it, it's time to go. Like, it, it is time to start building that winner with the people that you have. I don't think you need any other assets like that. I think they did a really good job in the trade deadline, sending out uh, Stratton and Quintana and bringing back, I believe that third base, first base guy is somebody that's really good. I can't think of his name right now. And the pitcher, Oviedo, was, uh, you know, he could be a starter for the Pittsburgh Pirates, which is something... They sorely need. Uh, Tyler Beattie did not look good last night. That they went down, I believe, three to nothing or something like that because of Tyler Beattie. So four to nothing. Uh, four to nothing was the was the score before he got yanked. Pitching is horrible right now. Yeah, yeah. I think 
there are ways to rebuild it and it's just a matter of when do we hit win now mode because apparently we're supposed to be bad again next year <laughs> supposed it, to be bad it's apparently the goal is to not be not go, not the goal but like that's the projection is that they know they're not going to be good at yet next year mm-hmm. baseball is such a hard sport to follow and it really is just the big market winners I mean, look at the Padres for God's sakes. Yeah, yeah, they were gonna be. Wow. They could have been my shout out this week. That that was especially. Did you watch the first inning last night of the Padres game? No. Well, Snell, I believe his name's Blake Snell, just absolutely wipes out the first three batters. Like complete dominance. Casually. Yeah, complete dominance. Yeah, but he he hasn't been great all season since the deadline or not the deadline since All Star game. He's been better, but great first inning. So the fans are already on their feet. I believe the first batter got out, but then it was Soto. Soto walks on four pitches. Clearly, Chad Cool did not want to throw him a strike. So Soto walks. Machado hits an absolute laser beam double. Josh Bell comes up. He walks. And then Grand Slam. Or no, was it a Grand Slam? I think there was another walk and then a Grand Slam or something like that. But they were up five to nothing after six batters. And San Diego, I, just the crowd reaction. Everybody was on their feet the entirety of that first inning. I miss that for the Pirates. I do. It's been since, what, 2015? I, I would say 2017. I think they had the first half of the season. They had a team that was doing pretty good before they, they fell apart. But, you know, miss that type of baseball for, for the team that I like to root for. It's so depressing talking about baseball. It is. But, you know, we do it anyway because we're Pirates fans, which means we're basically, you know, like to like to make ourselves sad about baseball. I hate this. I want our team to be good, but I like under. I don't know. I don't even want to get into it. Yeah, for a different podcast. We're talking a lot about the Pittsburgh Pirates. Talking a lot about baseball. Let's move over to callouts where I take it outside the realm of baseball. I'm calling out bumper stickers on people's cars because honestly, sometimes it gets to be a little ridiculous. Specifically, the ones that I think irritate me the most are "Baby on board" and "Please be patient. This is a new driver." Is that supposed to make me less likely to drive you off the road? Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wreck your into your car in the first place. What does the bumper sticker do? Like, why, why is it there? It's just annoying, and especially, it's worse when they have that sticker, and they are worse drivers. Like the the new driver, okay, makes sense. You're a new driver, but sometimes it's just like, okay, you have a baby on board. Why are you stopping so freaking hard? Like, slamming on the brakes. It's like, your baby's going to have shaken baby syndrome because of the way that you drive. So, worry less about your bumper sticker, more about actually driving and being a decent driver on the road. I don't know why. Like, I'm not Mario Andretti. I know I'm not the greatest driver. But, like, if you're a bad driver with a bumper sticker that's like, ah, be a good driver, then maybe you should just stop, not worry about the stupid little 15-cent sticker on the back of your car, and focus a little bit more on driving. I don't know I'm why. Gonna let you, I'm going to let you have that one. That yeah, was interesting. It, it made me very irritated the other day. I don't know why because I saw – like it was. I think it was specifically somebody with a, hey, there's a baby on board. Stay back or something like that. And then they were slamming on their brakes. They were driving – like awful driver. And I had to follow them for like two miles. And I was like, you know what? This is going to be a call out this week. <laughs> oh, man. That's, yeah, I'm going to let you have that one. Yeah. Hey, listen. I had – on my one show that I do on Sundays, uh, we have a, a host that's called, his name's Guru. And his gripe of the week was people that put chicken on sandwiches. 
He's like, why do we have to have chicken sandwiches? And I was like, chicken sandwiches are phenomenal. Like, I will. I fought back on that one. Because it's a meat on bread. You can't go wrong with that. He said chicken doesn't need to be put on bread. Yes, it does. He, he said, you're ruining the chicken by putting it on bread. And I, I, have, I vehemently disagreed with that statement. Especially, I'm like, spicy chicken sandwiches are sometimes my favorite and my go-to. You, like, has he ever enjoyed a buffalo chicken sub? Is that the same thing? Is that different? No, he doesn't like it. Uh, he said a chicken wrap is great. It's fine. Also correct, but... But he said if, if you put it between two pieces of bread, you're just being lazy, and you're... you're. I think he said ruining the chicken. But what's... But putting it in a wrap isn't lazy? It's the same thing. I guess because you have to wrap the wrap versus just... Supply. I don't know. Listen, it's not... Taco shell it. It's just it, as... Oh, my goodness. That's that's not my opinion, man. It's not. I, and I, I agree with you. I don't understand what... I don't understand what this guy has against chicken sandwiches, but he just said that it's wrong, and it's it's what you shouldn't do as a society. And I said, you're wrong. So society? I just figured... You know, I don't know. I, I didn't understand it, man. I'm just picturing this guy driving past Chick-fil-A. Any fast food restaurant now? Once he's done yelling at the man in front of him for a bumper sticker, he's looking at the Chick-fil-A line and yelling at the Chick-fil-A line because ch- chicken doesn't go on bread. Yeah. I don't Chick-fil-A, uh, Arby's has it. I mean, when everybody has a chicken sandwich now because they sell. Because everybody likes them. Because they're good. And because it's right. But I don't know. I don't know how we got into that. I mean, I don't know why I brought that up. But what is your call out to close out this show? It's kind of been all... This is a, clearly an early August episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Somehow my call out is not going to be that man for his wrong take on chicken sandwiches. Maybe yeah. I'll come back to that next week. But the, there's more drama at the Live Tour. Oh, my Lord. And so the former PGA players are suing the PGA because of their status with the league. Hey, you know what? You knew what was coming. You, you took your money and ran, mm-hmm. and I applauded you for it because, yeah, it's good for you, especially the ones that had nothing else to prove, like Phil Mickelson, Justin Tom, Dustin Johnson. Uh, they've, done their, they've done their thing. They've won their majors, and now they're going to cash out nicely. Why are you suing them now? Do you want back in? Is the live not working out? What's going on here? I don't know. Somehow we knew there was going to be drama – if, oh yeah, but that's just because the PGA incited the drama of all right, you're gonna go play in a different league. You're shunned from the PGA. Had they not done that and just had a clean break and just a clean, yeah, you go play over there. And whenever it obviously doesn't work out, you'll come crawling back and we'll look like the bit, the bigger person. Again, like I said, I think then the players are just cashing out. That's fine. The PGA is making it about themselves and doing it wrong. Uh, and now. They're getting sued by their own players. Not their own players. By their former players. Mm-hmm. It's weird to follow, but this wouldn't have happened had the PGA just been classy about another league joining their system. I don't even mm-hmm. know. It's like you have competition. Get over it. Mm-hmm. But now um, they're in this lawsuit. I mean, I don't know who's going to win or lose. I don't care. It's just there's more drama no. in golf, and it could it didn't have to come to this, guys. Both sides did mm-hmm. not have to. Yeah, I, I can tell you right now, I don't care about the verdict on that on that lawsuit. I really don't care who comes out. I don't care who gets paid out of that. You know I, what I said a couple months ago, and I, I will stand firm on this belief: the PGA should have just embraced it, should have used it, and should have should have used the the steam and the heat from the Live Tour to help market their own tour. Yeah. So and, and they didn't. 
and literally you see why it was working so well in the majors where live players were playing against PGA players. I mean, the, yeah. the, the eyeballs that were on the majors this year for that alone were ridiculous. So the fact that the PGA couldn't see that and say, hey, this is a great marketing opportunity that might make our sport as a whole better for us and for the live tour, that's just on the PGA because, you know, as somebody has told me in the past, Golf is sometimes an elitist sport, and the PGA is the biggest component of that. They fumbled the bag. And speaking of fumbling the bag, not that he needs the more money. Did you see how much they actually offered Tiger Tiger Woods? What is it, $800 million? We knew knew when the whole big first thing happened that he had turned down. The quote was then, high nine figures. Mm Mm-hmm. We just we just now got the number from Greg Norman and he said seven to eight hundred million dollars. Tiger, listen, I know you don't have the same game anymore. You could have retired so nicely on that. You you act, he wants to you, retire you, though. Well, you act like Tiger Woods cares. He's basically right. no, genuinely he doesn't. He it's just, not like he needs any more money. Because no. basically everything that's golf apparel Nike gets paid to him. He has the no, Tiger Woods back, brand. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure Nike pays him handsomely. And he already has the same schedule. He's going to come out, play three or four tournaments a year. They're all going to be majors. They're all going to be majors. And then maybe, what's what's the one he always like The Arnold Palmer Invitational. Got to play that. And then he's going to just fade back and sit back and say, all right, well, I'm going to enjoy my billions of dollars at this point. Yeah. No, I know. It's... No big deal, no big thing. I just figured, hey, you know what? The rich stay rich somehow. Could have been richer. Let me tell you what I, it, the position that I'm in right now. $800 million, I wouldn't think about it. I'd be like, how many places do you need me to sign and how quickly can I sign this? Wow, $800 million, I could buy a whole new knee. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. He could buy... He could pay for a driver for his great-grandchildren's entire life, let alone his entire life but that's gonna do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg clearly it is uh the the middle of august where there's Welcome to august not very much hockey stuff to talk about we hope we helped scratch that hockey itch with our 90s snake draft of the pittsburgh penguins but that's gonna do it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg podcast we'll be back next week with a new episode we thank you for tuning in and we will see you guys next week have a great weekend penguins fans you can follow the hosts on Twitter at Nick Horwat 41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You could also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. Listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts from or watch us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins. This show is brought to you by SI Fan Nation and InsideThePenguins.com.